I've just got away from the back. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. I'll wave to everybody. <laughs> Before I start off this morning, I'm going to invite you to use your imagination a little bit. <laughs> oh, somebody's excited. <laughs> what I want you to imagine is yourself. But I'm going to give a little bit more description about yourself. I want you to imagine what you would be like if you had absolutely no hang-ups whatsoever. If you had no fears at all. If you knew fully, with every fibre of your being, how much God loved you or loves you. If you fully delight in the person that he has created you to be. If you have limitless faith for every situation. If there was nothing that held you back from God and if your relationship with him was as close as it could ever be. I just want to give you a moment just to think about that version of yourself. And I want you to imagine what it would be like if every other person in this room was that version of themselves. And what would the impact be if every Christian in every church in Durham was that version of themselves? Now I wonder if there's anybody if, who the person that they're picturing is exactly the same as they are now. If you are, that is amazing. That is brilliant. I am not describing something that is impossible. I'm describing the way God sees you. The way, the way that Jesus wants you to live. When he said, I came that you would have abundant life, that's the version of you that he wants you to live. That is not some impossible daydream. And I want you to hold on to that version of you and of the church as a whole as I'm speaking this morning. As Christians, the greatest battle that we have is the one that goes on in our minds. The Bible says that in many different ways. Paul says it. And we're going to look this morning at different ways of thinking. Paul talks about the natural mind and the spiritual mind. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 2, and I'm going to read from verse 6 to the end of that chapter. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That is a definite statement. We have the mind of Christ. If you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. But Paul talks about we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We accessed the mind of Christ this morning when we looked at that version of ourselves because that's how God sees us. In fact, God probably sees us even better than that because he goes beyond our imagination. But in doing that, we access the mind of Christ, how he sees us. So Paul's comparing two different types of wisdom here. The wisdom of the world, the natural wisdom, and the wisdom of God. We all have within us built-in desires. We all want to be secure. We all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. And we all want joy in our life. The natural mind looks to earthly things for those things. Security comes from getting a good degree, getting the right job, making sure we've got the right savings, having the right investments. The spiritual mind knows that our security is in God, that he is the one who will never let us down. He is faithful in every situation. The natural mind looks to people for acceptance. The value of the value we have, we pla- sorry, the, the opinion of man is where we place our value. If people like us, we must be doing well. If people don't like us, something's gone wrong. The spiritual mind says, God loves me. God loves me no matter what. And I am secure in that. The natural mind looks at all sorts of earthly things for joy. Some of them great, some of them not so great. The spiritual mind knows that the greatest joy is in Jesus. The greatest joy is in the presence of God. And as I've said, as believers, we have the mind of Christ. But we can also still be in natural mindsets. We don't suddenly change all our thinking the moment we become Christians. And Paul talks about us being transformed by renewing our minds. This means that we need to look at what we're thinking and we need to look at the way Jesus thinks. And we do that through the word. Jesus calls us to a supernatural life. He calls us not just to enjoy the fact that we're saved. We do enjoy that and it's great and we've celebrated. But there's a, there is a bigger purpose for us. We are called to reveal heaven on earth. We are called to bring peace over anxiety. We are called to release healing over illness, hope over despair, restoration over broken relationships. We're called to heal the sick. We're called to raise the dead. 
Can anybody do that? <laughs> Everything that we are called to is impossible on our own. If we look at those things with a natural mind, we'll come up with all the reasons going why we can't do that. When we look at them with a spiritual mind, we know that we are full of the Holy Spirit, the one who can do that, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And we know we have the authority to do those things. Going back to that picture that we had at the beginning of the unhindered church, the the church that knows her identity exactly. That church is a force to be reckoned with. That church will storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And that, that church is an absolute threat to the enemy. He is terrified of that church. So what does he do? He knows that everything that we need requires faith and trust in God. So he attacks us by sowing doubt into our minds. Back in the Garden of Eden, what did he say to, to Adam and Eve? Has God really said? Throwing that doubt into the identity of God. And then later, with Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus had just come from his baptism. He just had you know, the booming voice, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. What does the devil say to him? If you really are the son of God. Now, Adam didn't pass that test. Jesus did. And we can. <laughs> Jesus calls us to be salt and light. Now, what does he mean when he says salt and light? If you get salt and add it to any meal, you will taste salt. Whatever the meal is, you taste the salt. The salt impacts the meal. If you have a room that's dark and you add light to it, it becomes light. The the darkness doesn't affect the light, it's the other way around. And there's a couple of examples where Jesus demonstrates this that I want to talk about this morning. And they're both found in chapter, in chapter 8 of Matthew. The first example is Jesus meets a man with leprosy and he heals that man. Now, human wisdom in that situation would have said, leprosy, that's a very infectious disease. You keep your distance. You don't touch. You, you pray from a distance. Jesus didn't operate in natural wisdom. Jesus operated in godly wisdom. Jesus touched the man. Jesus was so full of wholeness and healing that what was in him affected the man, overcame the leprosy, and the man was healed. Later in that same chapter, we see Jesus in the boat with the disciples. And the storm is brewing. And you have the picture, don't you, of the crashing waves, the thunder, the lightning, and the, the little boat with the disciples in. And they are in an absolute state of panic. And what is Jesus doing? He's asleep. He is at complete peace. So they wake him up. Now, earthly wisdom at this point, well, probably the first earthly reaction would be panic, help, 
or a slightly more wiser response might have been, right, you need to do this. You need to pull those ropes. You need to do that. Sorry, I don't know about sailing, Ian. <laughs> but you need to pull this and you need to do this. And, and that, would, that would be the earthly wisdom. How do we manage this situation? But again, Jesus didn't use his earthly wisdom. He used his godly wisdom. He was at peace. He woke up. He remained at peace. He rebuked the wind and waves. Everything in that scenario came under his peace. What was in Jesus affected the atmosphere around him. We are called to do the same. We are salt and light. We are called to infect the atmosphere wherever we go with the kingdom. Now, as a church, we love seeing the miracles of God. I am so grateful that I am in a church that loves seeing miracles, that, that is hungry for more of them. You know, we've seen, we've seen many healings. I've even had a testimony this morning of a healing. We've seen God break into some really difficult situations and transform them. We have got so many miracles that we have shared among us. But are you hungry for more of that? <laughs> I am hungry for more of that. And I don't just want to see it in here. God is challenging me to take it out there, to see his kingdom come in the world, not just in church, but to see it out there. And when I look at the life of Jesus, I am on catch up. I'm not living quite the life that he's living. And I can come up with all sorts of excuses for that one. You know, the, the most obvious is one, well, he's Jesus and I'm Sally. And that's very different. But the problem with that is the word says, he who believes will do greater things than me. Me saying, yeah, but that's Jesus, is not an option. That is not a biblical argument. That is me making an excuse. Really what it comes down to is, I'm not believing God can do that through me. I'm not believing that I can overcome my fear. Whatever excuse I come up with, it is not in line with what the Bible says about God or about me. And the harsh reality is, if I'm not believing God's words about me, I'm believing the devil's words about me. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to give him that power over me. Because when we believe his, his lies, we come into agreement with him. We're agreeing with him over God. He does not have power or authority over us until we give it to him. When we agree with him, we give him that authority. We give him that power and he will take it and he will increase it. He'll get that foothold in our lives. If he's telling you that you're not good enough to be used by God and you agree with him, he will start showing you all the things that you can't do. He'll start showing you all the mistakes that you've made. He'll start showing you all the people that are better than you. And the result of that is that you take a back seat. The result of that is that you don't step out and he's kept you down. If you believe him when he tells you that your prayers aren't really that powerful, they aren't really that effective... He'll start showing you all the times you've been disappointed. He'll start showing you that there's unanswered prayer in your life. He'll start showing you the times when 
other people's prayers have answered because they're more spiritual, they're better. God doesn't answer your prayers, but he does answer theirs. And so when somebody needs prayer, you let somebody else do it. And gradually you step back from praying. You step back from your relationship with God. There becomes a distance and he's kept you down. And when you sin, oh, he loves that one. When you sin, he will, he will heap that on you. Can I give you the best advice when you sin? Run as fast as you can into the presence of God. Go and get it sorted. Yeah, when my boys were little, I remember one of them, Ollie, he would, he would sit in his high chair and he would eat and his hands would be covered in mess. He didn't, he wasn't ashamed of that. He didn't hide them behind his back. It would be, mummy, sort out the mess. And we need to be like that with God. When we've sinned, we need to run into his presence and say, God, I've done it. I've made a mess. Sort it out. Because he has died for every single one of those sins. He is not afraid of sorting them out. But the enemy doesn't want us to do that. He'd rather we dwell on our sin. He'd rather... that we had that time for him to show us just how bad we really are. That we can't possibly go into God's presence like that. That God's not going to forgive us this time. That person over there wouldn't do it either. You know, He will keep you back. And the other lie that he will tell you is that as a Christian, you are still a sinner. Sarah Talentire brought us a word a couple of weeks ago, which is I think is really important. She said that there are still people incorrectly labeling themselves as sinners. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are righteous with his righteousness. That means you can stand before God as deserving as Jesus is. Not because you deserve it, because he has given you that. You are completely qualified to stand before God. If you tell yourself that you are a sinner you will sin more because a sinner can only sin. If that is your identity, you will start looking at your sin. The more you look at your sin, the more you do it. And if you're a sinner, you can't really help sinning. And if you can't really help sinning, then what more can we expect? Suddenly that sin doesn't seem quite as bad because really you can't do anything other than sin. If you are righteous, you are covered in something so priceless, so precious. The righteousness of Jesus is something we could never attain. Your nature is not to sin. So when you sin in your righteousness, that sin will be absolutely repulsive to you. And you will want it out of your life completely. So don't focus on your sin. Focus on his righteousness. You are not a slave to sin. It does not have dominion over you. Don't let him tell you otherwise. So how do we spot the lies that we're believing? Because some of them are a lot more subtle than this. I had a an experience with God a few years ago. 
I was out for a run, which some of you will think is wrong thinking anyway. But I was out for a run. And as I was running, I was praying. And I had really faith-filled prayers. I was praying for the church and I was praying for all the things that God was going to do through the church. Just how powerful that was going to be, how amazing that was going to be. And in this moment of rising up faith, I thought, I'm going to ask God for something. And what I said to him was, God, I would love it if you gave me something little to do in that. And what I expected him to say was, all right, Sally, I'll give you something little that, that I'll trust you with. What he said was, if everybody thought like that, I can only do small things. And in that moment, I realized that my view of what God could do through me was completely at odds to what God's view was. And that's not because I'm anything special. That is the same for you. God's view of what he can do through you is far bigger than your view. Ask him about it because he would love to tell you about it. Often our responses show us a little bit about what we're thinking. How do we respond when things go wrong? We've sung this morning about God, how good God is. When things go wrong, is that our first thought? Now, let's be real. We feel, don't we? Things go wrong, we hurt. That happens. It's where we go from there. If we're in that natural thinking, we start maybe looking down on ourselves or looking down on God. We, we stop believing that he wants the best for us. We might start blaming other people. But we're getting into that downward spiral. If we're looking at things that go wrong with the spiritual mind, yeah, we're not denying that there's hurt and there's pain there, but we're actually giving that to God and trusting that he will heal that. And then we're speaking his truth over those situations. How does it feel when somebody else gets the blessing that you really want or need and you haven't had it yet? In the spiritual mind, you go, we can go straight to envy. We can start thinking there's something special about that person and we're not good enough. And when we start thinking there's something special about that person, the natural mind will then start going thinking, right, what can we find that's wrong with them? How do we, how do we make ourselves feel better? The spiritual mind, when, think, when somebody else is blessed, is to celebrate with them. Because we know that God loves us. That God loves us beyond anything that we can imagine. And we can celebrate with that person. So any time we find ourselves in that pattern of thinking that starts bringing in negativity, that starts taking, taking us down over, that starts making us question, um, question God, if our faith is dropping then those thoughts are not from God. If our thoughts start tearing ourselves down, they are not from God. If our thoughts are tearing other people down or tearing God down, they are not from him. Now, I recently heard a, a, a description of, uh, of how we need to see ourselves. And we often say, don't we, that you know, we're, we're, we're God's workmanship. And this was a picture of us being a painting. 
that God was painting us. And when he was painting this picture, he was taking such delight in this picture. And it was an absolute masterpiece that he was created. And the model that he was looking at for creating this picture was Jesus. So when we start tearing ourselves down, we're tearing down the masterpiece that God has created. We're tearing down the model that he'd looked at. And we're tearing down the one that that painted us. When God made us, he made us intentionally. He made us perfectly. He designed you with so much love. So often our emotions are a bit of a, a barometer of how we're thinking. So we do need to listen to our emotions. We do need to listen to our feelings. And we need to look at where our thoughts are going. So what do we do when we recognize a lie in our beliefs? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to agree with God. We need to agree with his word that that is not the case. We need to decide, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe the word of God. And we need to start declaring it over ourselves. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is a two-edged sword. The word of God spoken out loud is extremely powerful. The Bible says that our faith comes by hearing. So sometimes when you start declaring a truth that God says over yourself, sometimes it feels awkward because really you don't quite believe it. But the more you speak that truth out loud so that you can hear it, the more you will believe it, the more rooted in you that will become. I had a little moment on, uh, on, on Friday. I'll let you in on this, this secret. But on Friday, I'd spent the last three weeks writing this sermon. And on Friday, I just thought, I can't get it to flow. I can't get this to come together. And I was at that point thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to stand up there and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have anything to say. It's going to come out in this big jumble. Well, hopefully it's not. <laughs> and I went to God. And I said, God, I can't do it. What, what, do I, what do I need to do? How, can you help me? Can you put this right? I, I'm going to be standing up there making a fool of myself. And in the middle of all my panicky praying, I just heard God say, Sally, what are you preaching on? Oh, yeah. And so then I said, right, I can write a sermon because I have the mind of Christ. I can preach a sermon because I will open my mouth and he will fill it. I can do this because he gives me everything I need for life and godliness. I then sat down and wrote a sermon and it flowed. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) So when you start getting thoughts that you're useless, that you're not good at anything. You need to come against those thoughts with, no, I am God's workmanship, created for good works. When you start to believe that God doesn't really want to bless you, you need to say, no, all the blessings in heaven and on earth are mine through Jesus. When you think God is disappointed in you, You need to think, you need to come back at that and say, no, he is singing over me. He is singing loudly over me. I love the verse in Zephaniah about the the loud exulting that he does. That is not a picture of a nice little gentle song. 
it's not even an overly dignified picture. If you think about the, the father in the, the, um, the prodigal son hitching up his robes to run, this is not a picture of a nice little gentle. This is God saying, I love you. Look at this. Look at them. Aren't they amazing? I love this person. I created them. And that is what God is saying about you. So if you're, if you're hearing, God's disappointed with me. God doesn't really love me. Think of that song. And ask him what he's singing over you. Do you know, God wants to tell you how he feels about you. He loves to tell you that. And he will, if you ask him, he will tell you. And believe me, it will blow your mind when he tells you. A couple of weeks ago, God told me something about how he sees me. And I was in pieces. He loves us. And he will tell you. Now, sometimes those lies break like that. Like mine on Friday, it broke very quickly. Sometimes it takes longer than that. We have been thinking the way we've been thinking from day one, since, since we could start thinking in, in, uh, in, in any sense. I don't know how babies think, but we've been thinking the way we think from a very young age. And those patterns take time to change, to change into that godly thinking. Now, Paul, does, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This takes effort, this takes work, and some, some of the thought patterns that we need to break are so deeply rooted that it takes time. It takes time of saying those words over ourselves. You know, I, my um, experience with God when I was out running, that was not an instant change. You know, I saw myself here, God saw me over here. I'm not over there yet. I'm walking along this path. I'm declaring his truth over me, but I'm not there yet. I have not seen myself yet as God sees me. And I imagine probably for most of us, we haven't seen that. And for some of us, we're, we're breaking a lot of things that other people have spoken to us. This takes time. And this comes through in the Freedom in Christ course. And their recommendation is you say the same truth over yourself day after day for 40 days, because it takes 40 days to break a habit. And what you might find is you get to the end of those 40 days, and then actually there's another level that you need to go to. There's another truth that you need to be speaking over yourselves. This is not a quick fix. This takes a lifetime. Not every lie, but to get rid of all of them, it will take us a lifetime. Now, sometimes people fear that when we're speaking all this positive stuff about ourselves, that we're actually going to end up falling into pride. But I want to read for you a passage from John 13 about Jesus. And if the band want to come up while I'm reading this, that would be great. In John 13, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, and was going back from God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew exactly what he was capable of. And it led him into service. The the following day, it led him to his death. 
When we know who we are in Jesus, when we are assured of what God says about us, it will not lead us into pride. It will lead us into love. It will lead us into true humility. And it will lead us into serving others. I'm just going to ask if we can stand. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and reveal some things to us. At the beginning, I asked you to think about an unhindered version of yourself. And probably as I'm speaking, you'll have been seeing some of the things that have kept you back from being that version of yourself. In a minute, I'm I'm going to pray... And I'm going to ask you to pray some things too. I'm going to ask you to pray them out loud. Nobody else needs to hear. This can be under your breath. But there is, there is a power in praying things out loud. Ryan's going to be playing so that there's, so there's no need for any self-consciousness. So I just, for the next couple of minute, moments, I just want you to close your eyes. Ignore everybody else. And I want you just to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. What is he revealing to you? What wrong thinking? What lies has he revealed to you? like you to do is like you to pray out loud again like I say it can be under your breath nobody else needs to hear I want you to pray I renounce the lie that and then say your lie in the name of Jesus if you haven't got anything can you just pray under your breath so that there's no embarrassment to anybody else (laughs) against that lie and when he's revealed that to you I'd like you to speak it out over yourself don't worry about quoting the bible word for word repeat what he says over yourself
would you release hope, release joy? Would you bring wholeness? Would you bring healing into our lives, Lord? Sally was praying, I felt the Holy Spirit drop into my mind. There's someone here who's believing a lie where a teacher has said to you, you're no good, you won't amount to anything. I feel this morning's a time for you to, Sally's helped us think through to say, I don't believe in that lie anymore, I'm going to believe the truth of Jesus. But it's particular, a lie that was planted in your life when you were younger, a particular statement a teacher said over you. It's time to leave that lie behind you this morning.